All right, welcome back to the Everyday Conversion Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Supercrop, and it's a little snowy this morning. A little bit of snow on the ground, so that's exciting and fun. And uh, yeah, so we'll see uh, see what the day brings. But not a ton to share with you today, but a few things that I came across in my last study of the Book of Mormon that I wanted to share with you. So, uh, First Nephi 5 and 6. I know, according to Come Follow Me, I'm a little bit behind. That's okay. One of the things I'm having to remind myself in my scripture study this year is that it's okay to not be exactly in line with where Come Follow Me says we need to be. That sometimes we'll spend a little bit extra time just depending on you know, how things hit us. And that scripture study is more about quality than quantity. That I don't necessarily have to read everything and I don't necessarily have to keep up. I can spend a little bit more time in certain places. Um, whether that's because I, I find something that's really interesting or even just because life gets in the way. You know, it's, it's about the process of doing it. It's about the quality of it. Not necessarily keeping up. And that is a, that's something that I need to remind myself of because I find myself often feeling like I'm failing if I'm not doing exactly what Come Follow Me says I'm supposed to be doing. Now, as gospel doctor teacher, I do have to somewhat keep up because I do have to, to teach uh, the correct lesson. And so I have to be in line and know what's going on with the lesson for that week. But... I do have a little bit of leeway because it's my personal study. So I can I can adjust a little bit. So we're on five and six. <clears throat> I promise you we will get to uh, six through ten um, and, and, and talk about that as well because there's so much to talk about there as well. But in chapter five, I think it's really, really cool. One of the things that, that really impacted me was the example of a really good, healthy marriage between Lehi and Sariah. Um, <clears throat> and I also think it's interesting that a really good, healthy marriage doesn't mean that there's not conflict. It doesn't mean that there's not disagreements or frustrations or um, at times even anger. But it's how we deal with those things. It's how we, how we manage those things because life happens. Uh, you know, last night I was driving home from work and, uh, I'm a big fan of like old jazz, um, and like jazz standards. So like Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, those types of things. And so I was listening to my Frank Sinatra station and one of Frank's famous songs comes on. That's life. And it w- it really impacted me. You know, the, the whole idea of, you know, that's life. That's what all the people say. You're flying high in April, shot down in May. Um, you know, uh, I've thought of quitting, but my heart just won't buy it. Uh, you know, so it's this whole idea of life's hard. You know, sometimes you're doing great. Other times you're not doing great. Things are difficult. And I think that's what Lehi and Soraya are finding out at this point. Um, you know, the, the boys are gone. All four of, of her boys, as she calls them, my boys, um, are gone. My sons, you know, and so she starts being a little bit frustrated, a little bit complaining a little bit. 
telling Lehi that all because of your decisions, we're out here in the wilderness. I don't have all my stuff. I'm out here on the camping trip that never ends. We talked about in the last episode. And we're out here and my sons are no more. And we're going to die. And it would have been so easy. So easy for Lehi to get defensive. It would have been so easy for him to say, do you think this is easy for me? You know, I'm just putting myself in issues and some of the things I would have said because I'm not as good of a man as Lehi is. Do you think this is easy for me? Do you think this is what I wanted to do? This is what the Spirit told me to do. I'm sorry. You know, like, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to say? I don't want my sons to die either. I don't want something to happen to my sons either. I know that it's dangerous. I know that what I'm asking is hard. What do you want me to do? And I could, Lehi easily could have responded that way. It's a very natural way to respond. And they probably would have got through it. Yet, Lehi's response is awesome. I aspire to be this type of man, and I aspire to have this type of marriage. Where Lehi just responds, I, you know, she called him a visionary man. And we talked about that a couple episodes ago. Visionary doesn't mean... Um, you have great vision. It's not a compliment, you know. It's it's a uh, you know at times uh, I, I say this because she's absolutely right. So this is in no way um, bragging on my wife. She's a hundred percent white right when she says this. But my wife will sometimes tell me, you know, you're not very detail oriented. And I always just look at her and say, why do I feel like that's not a compliment? <laughs> you know, she's not saying, hey, it's really great how you think how, how, how you think big picture. And, and that's so wonderful. You know, that's not the way she's saying it. She's saying, you're missing things. You know, you're, you're not paying attention to things that are important. And she's 100% right. But I always respond and say, I, I don't think you mean that as a compliment. And that's the way it is here with Lehi too. When, when Soraya says, you're a visionary man, I, I don't think she's saying, it's so wonderful that you have such great vision. And when I say I don't think, I know it isn't because of the way that she follows it up. You know, you've led us out here to perish in the wilderness. My sons are going to die, so on and so forth. <clears throat> and yet, Lehi's response is amazing. He says, I know that I'm a visionary man. For if I had not seen the things of God in a vision, I should not have known the goodness of God, but had tarried in Jerusalem had perished with my brethren. But behold, I have obtained a land of promise in the which things I do rejoice. Yea, and I know that the Lord will deliver my sons out of the hands of Laban and bring them down again unto us in the wilderness. So he doesn't argue. He doesn't get defensive. He doesn't fight back. He just says, honey, I know. I know this is hard. I understand. And what an amazing response that had to have been for Sariah. How amazing is it that they have the type of marriage that allows him to do that and allows her to, as we see later on in verse 6, to be comforted by those words. I imagine that, you know, she was at the end of her rope, worried as mothers often are. And, and I could just see him just sitting down next to her, putting his arms around her and saying, I know. I understand, and I am so, so sorry that this is stressful and worrisome for you. 
I'm worried too, but I know that I'm following the Lord. I know I'm doing what I've been asked to do. I know I'm fulfilling the commandments of God. And I love how he comforts her, but he stays strong in the knowledge of what he knows and what he has been asked to do. And he bears his testimony. He, he tells her, I know that our sons will be okay. <clears throat> I have faith. I have faith that if the Lord asked them to do this and asked us to do this, that it will work out. And because of his confidence, because he believes he's able to comfort his wife. And I think there's such a valuable lesson in that, that as, as spouses, as parents, we have to rest on what we know. We have to rest on what we're sure in. And sometimes <clears throat> we are going to have to use that surety to strengthen our family members, our spouses, our kids, our grandkids, our parents. You know, we see that with Nephi. There's times where his surety comforts and strengthens his father. And then sometimes we're going to have to be the ones that are strengthened. And what a beautiful relation. What a, what a beautiful benefit of a relationship, having that ability to be comforted by each other. And when we're strong, we can strengthen those that maybe are struggling. And when we're struggling, we can be strengthened, hopefully, by those that are strong. And that I see that in this interaction between Lehi and Sariah. And I also think it's awesome to see that they were a normal family. You know, um, I think sometimes it's so easy. And I can tell you there's times that I look at families that I know. And I know you only see the outside. I know you don't see all of the inner workings of a family. And it's probably not this way. But sometimes you see those families that just never seem to fight. Like literally never seem to fight. And, and even I always struggled. <clears throat> I was a huge fan of President Higley. He was the prophet when I joined the church. But I remember struggling when I read his biography. Or his auto, yeah, his biography. And <clears throat> he in there, and I think he said a few times, I think it was, actually I think it was in the talk that he gave after his wife passed away, after sister Higley passed away where he said, I don't remember in our 70 years or whatever of marriage ever having a serious fight. And that's so amazing. That's, that's so cool to me. It's something to aspire to. And also, I'm pretty sure my wife and I broke that process, that, that ability to be able to say that within about three weeks of being married. <laughs> and I, I just have a hard time identifying with that. Because my wife and I have had major fights. We have had some knockdown, drag out, disagreements, arguments, fights. And I honestly think we're stronger because of it. And I had, do I wish we hadn't? Absolutely, of course. Most of it came from one or the both of us and mostly me being stubborn. But it's part of life for most of us. <laughs> Unless you're President Hinckley. It's Sister Hinckley. And I look at a lot of people and I think, man. They just seem to never fight. They just seem to always be on the same page. They just seem to always get along. And I know for most of it, it's just you don't see it. But what a comfort it is for me to read this 
chapter in First Nephi and to think, wow, okay, I'm normal. <laughs> even, even Lehi and Sariah had some disagreements, had some frustrations, had some challenges. And we can have those challenges and still be faithful. We can have those challenges and still be followers of Jesus Christ. We can have those challenges and still move forward because there's repentance, because there's the atonement. And what a wonderful reminder and blessing that is to have that in the Book of Mormon, to be reminded that I don't have to be perfect. My marriage doesn't have to be perfect. We just have to keep trying. We just have to keep working at it. And I have to strive to respond like Lehi did, to be the leader of my family like Lehi was. And that's <clears throat> that's the thing that I got from this. And I think it's it's such a great reminder here in the Book of Mormon of you know, just the way life is. <clears throat> All right, so then the boys come home. <coughs> Excuse me. And behold, their joy was full, and my mother was comforted. That's what chapter or verse seven says. So Sariah feels better, and she bears her testimony. She's like, I know that what my my husband has said is true now. So this was a little bit of her trial, and now that she's had that trial, she's willing to bear her testimony and and be confident in knowing and trusting and this was maybe maybe the the assurance that she needed maybe this was the strengthening of 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 her testimony but also of their marriage that she needed to be able to endure all that they were going to endure in the next what eight years in the wilderness uh traveling across an ocean beginning a new life and Maybe she needed that. Maybe she needed that to be able to be strong. She needed this little trial in order to be strong. And and I'm not saying that that God sent that trial necessarily. Like, I think that gets into a big discussion about where do our trials come from? And I'm not a fan, and this is a conversation that my wife and I have had. I'm not a fan of the idea that God gives us trials. I think they just happen. I think it's just part of life. It's just part of the life experience. And I, I don't know that God will give us trials. But but I do believe that maybe God saw this as an opportunity to teach and tutor Sariah and strengthen her testimony and to give her the strength that she would need in order to face the things that they were going to face going forward. All right, so she's good. They're good. They gave thanks. And then I was listening to a podcast and he made this point. This is so typical of, of husbands and wives, fathers and mothers. The mother's super excited. She's, you know, falling all over her sons, hugging them, kissing them. Uh, probably made a big dinner, <laughs> you know, to, to celebrate them being home. Um, just so super excited, so happy that they're back. And dad's like, all right, let's get down to business. Like, let's see the plates. And he immediately... They give thanks. And then he took the records and he did search them from the beginning. So he's immediately reading the scripture. He's like, all right, let's check this out. We got but come on, let's let's get the things that we were looking for. And he reads all of these things. And I think it's interesting <clears throat> to realize that, you know, this wasn't these records weren't like the Bible like we have it, in the fact that like there was a beginning and an end. Like they were the ongoing records of that time. You know, it says it was a record of the, you know, the first five books of Moses, 
uh, and a record of the Jews from the beginning, even down until the commencement of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah. So, <clears throat> you know, remember in 1 Nephi 1, Nephi says that he's beginning his record and telling us about it in the first year of the reign of King Zedekiah. So, essentially, we're finding out that these records are like not only an ancient record of what happened with Moses and Abraham and everybody, but it's also like, you know, in some ways kind of like the daily newspaper, you know, like all the way down to what's happening right now. And, and so, you know, that's interesting to me that, <clears throat> you know, they're, they're keeping these records as they go. You know, it's their ongoing record. It's the newspaper. It's the, uh, you know, the, I guess, you could say it's like, you know, the word history. You know, like the things that happen, they can they can find out. You know, they can go back and look and see what what day the the uh, the you know Jerusalem Fourth Ward's uh, you know uh, linger longer was. I don't know, <laughs> but it, it's all the way up. And it says also the prophecies of the holy prophets from the beginning even down to the commencement commencement of the reign of Zedekiah, and also many prophecies which have been spoken by the mouth of Jeremiah. So, uh, in in. A couple of episodes ago, I talked about the fact that you know, there were some interesting things Jeremiah said about, you know, choose. You know, I, I, I give I give you the choice, the choice of life or the choice of death. If you stay in Jerusalem, you die. If you leave, you'll be saved. And so if it had many of the prophecies of Jeremiah, it may even have had that prophecy. Those prophecies, the things that Jeremiah told Zedekiah and the warnings that he gave the people of Jerusalem if they didn't repent, which is interesting and I think important if you think about the fact that you have Laman and Lemuel who are not sure they want to leave and not sure they believe those prophecies. But now we have them. And it's also important because as we get to the new world, uh, you see Nephi saying, you know, it was prophesied that Jerusalem was going to be destroyed and uh, it's been made known unto me that it has happened. Jerusalem has been destroyed. And so he's able to show his people the prophecies of Jeremiah. You know, and the things that were happening that were recorded uh, in this record of the Jews. And so the brass plates were very, very much contemporary as well, which I think is important um, and interesting to consider. And then it talks about how, uh, you know, it came to pass, he found upon the plates a genealogy of his fathers. <clears throat> and he found out that he was a descendant of Joseph. Joseph, who was the son of Jacob, who was sold into Egypt, and who was preserved by the hand of the Lord that he might preserve his father Jacob and all his household from perishing with famine. And they were led out of captivity and out of the land of Egypt by that same God that had preserved them. And as I was reading this, I was thinking to myself, do you think Lehi <clears throat> saw himself in his ancestor Joseph? You know, I started thinking of all of the parallels. You know, Joseph was sold into Egypt. He was cast out by his family. And you have Lehi, who was uh, essentially cast out by the Jews. He went and he prophesied to them. They kicked him out. They mocked him. They tried to kill him. He had to flee. He had to run away. So he wasn't sold into exile, but he was pushed into exile by his brethren, by his family, by the house of Israel, by uh, the the other descendants of Joseph, you know, like, so did he feel a kinship with Joseph? And then it says that he was sold into Egypt and uh, preserved by the hand of the Lord. 
do you think Lehi possibly felt like he was being preserved by the hand of the Lord? I have no doubt. Based on the things that he had been taught, the direction that he'd been given, he certainly had to have felt like he was preserved by the hand of the Lord. Then it says that he might preserve his father Jacob and all his household from perishing with famine. Now, <clears throat> Lehi may or may not known at this time. It seems like there's things he says later on, like when he's teaching his, his sons before he passes away. But again, you know, Lehi in many ways is being called to preserve his family, his lineage, you know, the, the descendants of Joseph by being led to a new promised land. So it's just, I wonder how much of it, you know, he sees himself in these scriptures, how much he sees a parallel between him and, and this ancestor of his, Joseph in Egypt, <clears throat> and how much strength and comfort that must have given him. You know, we read all the time that, and hear all the time that our genealogy can provide us comfort. We can look to the stories of our ancestors to give us strength and to give us courage and to help us through the trials that we're facing. And I wonder how much that happened for Lehi as he's reading the story of Joseph in Egypt. Because he references it. You know, they, you know Nephi makes particular mention of it here. <clears throat> and then... You have, you know, later on, he uses it to teach his sons before he passes away. He uses it to teach them um, and, and references that story many times. So it must have made an impact on him. Uh, <clears throat> it says that, you know, Lehi was filled with the spirit of prophecy. Um, and, you know, so we, we go on and on. And so Nephi basically says, you know, here's why we got the plains. You know, his father prophesied they're of great importance. They should never perish. Neither should they be diminished. And then at the end, he says, <clears throat> Wherefore, it was wisdom in the Lord that we should carry them with us as we journeyed in the wilderness towards the land of promise. So he's like, look, it was, it was the Lord's idea. It was important to him. It was his wisdom that we should get them. And so you have... They've, they've just been, you know, through this harrowing experience of almost being killed once, possibly twice if you believe Laman, um, and then Nephi having to, for the first time in his life, kill someone in somebody's life. And now Lehi has shared with him what's on the plates, and Nephi is able to see, oh my goodness, these are important. This is so important. I'm so glad we have these. And... Now that we have these, we go to chapter six, which is a complete aside. You know, I was, I was listening to a podcast yesterday and they were making the comment that, you know, this is one of those rare instances where if you took out chapter six, the story would actually flow better. It's like a, a it, it's, it's a step out of the story, which is one of the neat things about the Book of Mormon is there's so much commentary. There's so much like, I want to make sure you understand this. So we get to chapter six and Nephi explains the purpose of the Book of Mormon. <clears throat> he explains why it's being written. He explains what's going to be in it and what's not going to be in it and what his goal is with it, which is important for us to read and to understand because if we misunderstand the purpose of it, we can easily miss 
the the important things in it. And by the way, as I'm driving, um, I just got into uh, Moses Lake. And as I'm driving on the highway, I can look over and I can see the temple, which is such a neat thing. And it's just something that still, still blows my mind that I get to see a temple like every day. Um, just such a cool, cool experience. Anyways, so Nephi explains what's important. And he says, first thing he says is, look, I, I'm not going to give the whole genealogy of my father. Um, my father has done it. And so I'm not going to do it. And so, again, we have to remember that, you know, there's the 116 pages that were lost, Lehi's record, that we don't have. And so Nephi's saying, look, it's already there. I don't need to write it because it's there. Like, we have that record. That record is there. Um, and so it's good enough for me to just say that, you know, we were, we were descendants of Joseph. Like, and if you want to see more of the genealogy, you can, you can see what my dad wrote. Which, of course, we can't because we don't have it. But... That's kind of what he's saying. Um, <clears throat> and then he says, uh, I'm not going to give a full account of my father, for they can't be written on these plates. I desire the room that I may write of the things of God. And so Nephi very early on here is recognizing what he wants his book to be about. It's not as... Um, as I, I heard in a podcast I was listening to the other day, it's not a history book. And I think sometimes we, we get caught up in thinking that it's a history book and calling it a history book. It's a history of the Nephites and the Lamanites. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's a record of their, their descendants and the things that they did. And yet it's not. You know... I mean, you look at it, and it's like we have we have a lot of detail with Nephi and his family in the wilderness. But then we skip over full generations in a single verse. You know, you get to, like, the books of um, Enos, Jerem, Omni, and, and you're skipping over generations in a single verse. You have the one guy, who I'm sure we'll get to at some point here. Um, was it Chemish? The one that was like, um, my brother gave me these records and I saw that he wrote in them when he gave them to me, and now I have them, and I'm going to give them to my son. And that's like all he says. And it's like an entire generation. That's all we get. And so it's not a history book. It's a book about the things of God. And he says in verse 4, the fullness of my intent, the full measure of what I'm trying to do, my entire purpose is that I may persuade men to come unto the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob and be saved. So he says, my only purpose, my purpose is not to tell you every single thing we did. My purpose is not to record a history. My purpose is to merely convince you to sell you on the idea that you should come unto God and be saved. It's a sales letter. You know, as someone who has spent a large portion of his working life writing marketing and sales copy and learning about marketing and sales copy, I think that's really interesting. I think that's really cool. This is a sales book. It's selling us on an idea. It's not giving us every single historical detail. 
it's selling us on an idea. It's selling us on the idea that we should repent, be baptized, come unto God, and be saved. And so he says, the things which are pleasing unto the world, I don't write. But the things which are pleasing unto God are the things that I write. And he says, not only that, I'm going to give a commandment unto my descendants that they shouldn't put anything on these plates that are not of worth unto the children of men. And so he's saying, not only is this important to me, but I'm going to make sure that my son and my son's son understand that there is a specific purpose to these plates. That these plates are meant for the things of God. And I think that's important for us to remember because it changes the way we read it. You know, it's not a history book. It's not just for us to learn about the customs of the Nephites and the Lamanites or to learn about their manner of dress or their their mode of fighting or uh, the interesting battles they had, though there are glimpses of that. Its purpose is to teach us about God and to sell us on the idea, and I use that word purposely, purposefully, to sell us on the idea that we should follow Christ, that we should serve God, that we should be baptized, that we should live the gospel. That is its purpose. And it's important that we remember that because it impacts everything that Nephi and every prophet after him writes in this book. It impacts all of it. That's its purpose. And judging a book by something that is not its purpose is how people misunderstand it. And so if somebody thinks that this is a history, they're going to miss the point. So, with that, that's chapters 5 and 6 of First Nephi. And like I said, I promise we'll get caught up. We'll talk about um, Lehi's dream and all that stuff. But I want to share some of that stuff with you because I thought it was interesting. So I hope you have a great day. And we will see you in the next episode.